Hopefully you have your copy of God's Word that uh, speaks to us today. If you'll take your copy of it and turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 34. As you're making your way to Exodus 34, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Have you heard about the green-eyed monster? It's not something that's roaming through the mountains of uh, Appalachia. It's actually an English gentleman spotted him. He actually identified him as he was uh, writing about him and uh, and later he would mention that uh, in another one of his works that he was a tormentor of Othello. I don't know if you've heard of William Shakespeare, but he's the one who famously identified the green-eyed monster in two of his plays. And what he did was provide a visual for us of a monster that is powerful and dangerous to mankind. In fact, it's so dangerous that when Shakespeare wrote about him, he said to beware of this being of being influenced in your emotions by the green-eyed monster that we call jealousy. And when we think of jealousy, we think of it in a negative way. We think of it in a way that we've seen played out in our lives, perhaps even not just to us or towards us, but in our own hearts. And yet what's amazing is we're going to discover today, as we're walking through these attributes of God, that the God that we worship is a jealous God. His name is jealous. And you say, well, if this is a green-eyed monster and jealousy is called the green-eyed monster, how is it possible that this jealousy for God can be a virtue, but for us it's a vice? How is that possible? Well, when we attribute something of God, it's supposed to be something that we praise Him for. Uh, we praise Him for who He is and what He's like. Can we praise Him for being jealous? I mean, nobody would imagine a jealous God. J.I. Packer said in Knowing God, he said that, that no one is going to fabricate or think up in their own mind or create a, a, an idea, a characteristic of God that, that, that we wouldn't admire. When we think of, of a God, we think of a God that is merciful, a God that is gracious, a God that is patient, a God that is love. You don't think of a God as being jealous, who would create a God like that? Well, no one creates this God, right? <laughs> He's uncreated. We don't, we don't form Him or fashion Him in, in, in our own imagination. That would be idolatry. We don't do that. God is so beyond what you and I would think about Him that He has to reveal Himself to us so that we know Him as He is. And what He says is, He reveals about Himself here in Exodus 34, is that He is a jealous God. In fact, when you stop and think about the other attributes that we've studied, you know, God's uh, omnipotence, His omnipresence, His omniscience, when we stop and think about His holiness and His mercy and grace and, and His righteousness, we think about His love, we've discussed those things. God's jealousy is a corollary to His love. You see, when God loves us, it's worth celebrating because He loves us with an everlasting love. His love lavishes upon us so much in so many graces that we can't even count them. We're so blessed by Him. But if God loves us in this way and gives Himself completely to us in love, holding nothing back, then He deserves the same from you and from me. And He is jealous for that worship that is due to His name. The jealousy of which we speak, as we'll see in just a moment, is really a zealousness that He has to... For you, for me, for his name, for his glory. 
And so when, when Moses is recording this for us, and, and as God revealed that to him, he reveals it to you and to me today so that we'll understand not just that he's a jealous God, but how great his love is towards us this morning. It's, it's, it's a green-eyed monster when it's played out in your life and my life, but our God is not the green-eyed monster. No, he is a jealous God that loves us in ways you and I can't even understand. But let's see what we can learn today in his word. If you'll stand with me in honor the word of the Lord. I'm in Exodus chapter 34. If you have a Bible, if you don't, grab one there in the pew rack in front of you. We want to have every heart open before the word of God so that our hearts can hear the truth that God is speaking to us today. I'm going to start down in verse 10 if you want to follow along with me. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people I will do marvelous marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the peoples among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourselves, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for you yourselves. Pray with me. This morning, Father, help us to understand how great your love is for us and that you are a jealous God. Your name is jealous, Lord. May we realize today that, Lord, we are supposed to respond to your love and you are jealous for our affection, Lord. Zealous for it. And zealous for the glory of your name and what you are worthy of from us who have been blessed by you. Father, right now, search our hearts, Lord. If there is anything within us, Lord which is a rival to you. God, today may we repent and experience your mercy and your grace. Lord, may we repent and turn from those things which will bind us and tie us down to this world and cause us to miss out on the blessings that you have for us to experience each and every day. May our hearts truly be one for you, Lord. They were won by Jesus Christ, Lord. And today our prayer is that our worship would be worthy of your great and glorious and jealous name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Exodus 34 is when Moses and the covenant is repeated for the people. The people had demonstrated their unfaithfulness. And yet God is reiterating his faithfulness to the people. Moses had to make a second set of tablets. That's the beginning of chapter 34. And that was necessary because when he went, made the first set and had gone up on the mountain and there was with the Lord, 
And God wrote the Ten Commandments for him. While he was away, the people played the harlot. They told Aaron to form and fashion the God who had delivered them because they hadn't seen Moses in a few days as he was up there for 40 days and nights. And so what is significant about this is that Moses, God is demonstrating now that even though the people were unfaithful, God remains faithful to what he had promised. Now that's reassuring to know that God remains committed to his people. When God gives his word, he is faithful to his word. That God would still want to have a relationship with them. Even when they sin. Remember, he had told Moses, you know, I can just wipe them all out and we can start all over. And Moses said, no, 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 Lord, for the sake of your name, please don't do that. Israel was still his inheritance. These were his people. And so God is reassuring them in the, in the midst of their unfaithfulness that he is a faithful God. And reminds them not only of his covenant that he promises with them, but of their responsibilities that they have as the people of God. Now, when you stop and think about how great God's love is for us and the promises that he makes and all that he's willing to do, it's reassuring for us as a covenant people that we too have promises to, care, to trust in, to rest in, and to know that God loves us and he's jealous for your love and my love as well. We have one who is a mediator of a new covenant in his blood. We'll celebrate that as the covenant people in a couple of weeks in August when we gather around this table and remind ourselves as well that there is one who has cut a covenant through his sacrifice at Calvary so that you and I could be the covenant people of God. And God hasn't changed. He is jealous for our love as well as he was for theirs. And he wants to see that played out in your life and my life on a daily basis. You see, as it says in verse 14, God's name is jealous. In fact, it's repeated. He is a jealous God. His very essence, God is jealous. But don't confuse that again with our human understanding when we think of jealousness, the jealousy. In the book of Proverbs, it says that jealousy is the rage of a man. But with God, it's not a rage as much as it is a lavishing of his love. When we think of jealousy, we think of someone who is spitefully envious of us, who, who is, is, is in fear of being supplanted or some rival taking their place in love. And because of that envy and bitterness eats us up. And, and that's that green-eyed monster that can really change your world quickly if you are governed by it. But when the Hebrew writer writes, in Hebrew, the idea of jealousy is that God is fiercely protective. God is not resentful in this way as we are. God demands our love for him. He wants our allegiance to him and he's fiercely protective of us. There's nothing that God guards more jealously than his love for you and for me. And that love is demonstrated in covenant when he promises himself. J.I. Packer said it this way. God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite as human jealousy so often is. But it appears instead as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. Can you stop for a moment and just consider... God told them on the mountain there in Exodus chapter 20 that they were a peculiar treasure to him. It's the same thing Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 about the church, about you and me. We are God's special possession, a peculiar treasure to him. 
Now, this isn't just puffing us up for a moment, because if you really realize we're nothing but wretched sinners. But that he would have regard for us in this way and zealously seek to preserve something supremely precious to him. We are precious to him because of what his precious son did on our behalf. We are precious to him because we are in Christ as his people. And he sees us through that precious blood of his son. And because of that, God is zealous and jealous for you and for me. And he demands of us a love that he deserves. He demands of us a love that demonstrates absolute loyalty because that is what he demonstrates to you and to me. The best way to understand it is in our human relationship called marriage. And I know our culture has just totally redefined what marriage is. But God hasn't redefined it. It's a picture of one man, one woman for one life. And the love that they have within those bounds of marriage. So much so that they have an exclusive love for one another. That demands the right kind of jealousy. Jealousy where one will not engage or embrace the arms of another. Jealousy that will fiercely protect the the reputation of the other party. Jealousy that, that doesn't set aside that mate for something or someone else. It's a kind of jealousy that is passionate and protective. And that is the picture that we have of the one who we as the bride of Christ have one who is betrothed to us. And we are betrothed to Jesus. He loves us in this way, and he is jealous for his glory, because it's his name. He gives himself to us, his reputation. He stands upon his word, and so he must be true to his word. And so he is jealous to accomplish everything that he has promised to us, and jealous for the glory, zealous for it, that we are to give him. He's jealous for your affection, my affection. He's demonstrated to you and me how great his love is. So great that he would send his precious son to die on Calvary and pay the penalty for your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world. And that that love that he demonstrates toward us is now what he expects back from us. In fact, he has said that we are to set He has set a a seal upon his own heart. And his call to you and to me is in all of our affections to love him, not with 60% or 70% or 80% of our being, but with all of our being. We are to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because he's jealous for you and for me as his people, having been loved by him, he is zealous to protect us. As he protects us, he protects his reputation. And God zealously does that. That's why there's a warning over in the Psalms, in Psalm 105, verse 15, that says, Touch not mine anointed. David knew that, a man after God's own heart. What did David know? He knew, I'm not going to touch King Saul, though twice he could have taken King Saul's life, but he did it. Because he knew that was chosen of God. You better not touch it. By the way, God hasn't changed. Those things that God has set apart, God has said are mine. You better be very careful with. Amen. God is jealous. He is a jealous God. It's his name. It's his essence. And we need to rediscover that today. Why? Because God is jealous because of his covenant. Now, you notice in verse 10, God says, I will make a covenant with you. I circle that in my Bible. And then down in verse 12 and verse 15, there's a warning about other covenants that might be made. 
God's binding promise to you and to me is that he has made a covenant with us as he did with his people. An unbreakable covenant. His commitment to Israel. And his promise to them was not only that he would be their God and they would be his people. His promise was to forgive their sins. His promise was to give them an inheritance, a promised land. And beloved, it hasn't changed for you and for me. Amen. We are the people of God. We have received his promises that God says he will, he will keep and he will do. And that's why we take this word and we treasure it and we hide it in, his heart, in our hearts. Because as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, God's given us precious promises to live by as his covenant people. But with those promises, there are commandments that we are to keep. And there are warnings when we don't keep those commandments and when we don't keep the covenant. And God says, listen, you, you need to fear who I am and reverence who I am and realize how great my love is to you that I still forgive sin. You see, these were unworthy recipients. What have they just done? They just formed an idol, a golden calf, and bowed down to it and, and played the harlot right there as God was on the mountain giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Amazing the idolatry that they had just committed. And yet God, in the midst of their grumbling and complaining, in the midst of their courting another idol, still demonstrates, you're my people and I give you a covenant. What's amazing is as he says, I will make a covenant with you before all peoples. I will do marvelous marvels such as have never been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it's an awesome thing that I will do with you. What were those wondrous things to demonstrate God's amazing power and his commitment? Well, They'd already seen some of his wonders. They'd seen him destroy all the, all the idols that were worshipped in, in Egypt. Those ten plagues destroyed idols that the Egyptians worshipped. They'd seen God walk them through the Red Sea on dry ground, destroy their enemy behind them. They've tasted already of the manna and, and God's provision there in the wilderness. God had done awesome, mighty works. But he wasn't done. He says, I'm going to do more awesome and mighty works. What would that be? Well, he alludes to some immediate uh, wonders that he will do. He will lead his people into the promised land. He will remove the, the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Get, uh, Jebusite, and, and the Hivite. He'll remove all those nations. He'll actually you know, stop the Jordan River and his people will walk through on dry ground. He'll, he'll bring a city with walls just crashing down and all his people will do is walk around them seven days. He'll, 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 he'll use hornets and, and hail to destroy the enemy before them. God will go before his people just as he promised them and give them what he said, a promised land. Those are the immediate wonders that God would do. But, but there's also distant wonders that God would do. And all the nations will say, that's an amazing God. You see, there's still a week of troubles, this 70th week that, that Daniel would speak about. We read about it in the book of Revelation. It's a period of seven years of great tribulation for the nation Israel. And God will do great and amazing things, wonders in those days as well. And individuals in this world will see the work of the Lord and they will recognize and acknowledge He is God. Of course, 
That's the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ was, was also something God would do. A greater display of his power. That he would have the power to offer his son as the penalty for sin. And raise him up on the third day. All of these things. The awesome works of God. A jealous God who is jealous for us. Because of his covenant and his promises he makes. You see, I need to treasure and cherish the things that God has promised to me. And I need to live each day in the light of His loving jealousy for me to live as, his, as, his, as one of His children. Why? Because God requires complete commitment from you and from me. Notice what He says in verse 12. I took a pen and I underlined this in my Bible because it's pretty significant. In light of the fact that God is going to do amazing things, in light of the fact that God is a God who makes a covenant with us and is jealous, notice what he says, take heed to yourself. They hadn't already. Take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. Why? For you, uh, you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, your, the, Lord, uh, who's, uh, the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. You see, God had called Israel to examine their lives. What does it mean to his, be his people? If God makes a covenant with us, what does that mean for you and for me? If his name is jealous for our worship, what does that mean? That means that God requires from you and from me a complete commitment in our life. When you are set apart and become a child of God, when you are set apart unto the Lord, sanctified, that means you are set apart. You are distinct from something else. And we are distinct from the things of this world. He told his people, you're not like the Amorite, the Hittite, the Jebusite, and all the otherites. You are distinct from them. You are, and, and, and what, I don't want you to make a covenant with them. I don't want you to make a covenant with their gods. You are belonging to me. And I need to hear that and you need to hear that. They needed to hear it because they had already not taken heed to themselves in fashioning and forming, forming the golden calf. But what I need to know is that I've been set apart. You've been set apart if you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Him. You are not your own. I am not my own. We've been bought with the precious blood of Christ the mediator of a new covenant. And now as his people, we've been set apart. We belong to him. And we need to live like that. We need to live like that with complete commitment. And I need to take heed to myself. And you do this morning as well. Because I don't know if you realize this about your heart and about my heart. But it's exceedingly wicked. It's deceptive. You realize your heart will lie to you. That's what sin does. It blinds us and it tells ourselves lies. And, and that's what happens when we don't take heed to it. I know David in Psalm 139, when he realized just how awesome God was. And he said, you know, God, you've searched me and you've known me. When he got through to the end of that psalm, he said, God, keep searching me. Keep knowing me. Keep trying me. If there's any anxious way or wicked way in me, Lord, may I turn from it because I want to go in the way everlasting. You see, when, when you come to the Lord, He has already demonstrated how great His love is to you and me. And He requires nothing less than what He's shown us. He wants all of us. Not all of us, all of me, all of you, and then all of us collectively. He wants each one of us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
That means he has to have priority in your life. He has to be first. That means first place above your bride, above your husband, above your children, above your possessions, above the things you and I own. Above everything, he has the supreme place in our lives. And I should live like that day by day. Why? Because he accepts no rivals. Notice how he explains this in verses 14 and following down through 17. Remember, you shall worship no other God. Why? Our God is a jealous God. That's his name. Verse 15, lest you make a covenant. This is the second time now in this context that he said this about making a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. What's so serious about this? Well, if you do that and then they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. And you shall make no molded gods for yourselves. God is warning his people, listen, you're mine and you belong to me. And your association, your allegiance, your affiliation is with me, not with the nations that surround you. This is what we need to realize today. God will not tolerate any divided loyalties. Our hearts are to belong to him and him alone. He demands complete faithfulness from you and from me, from his loved ones. And he wants us to be faithful to him as he is always faithful to us. You know, as a husband and a bride, when you get married, you don't keep pictures of old boyfriends or girlfriends in the drawer. You don't make deals with, with, with previous girlfriends or boyfriends. You keep your heart wholly committed to the one that you gave your vows to. That's what God is saying. And, and marriage is a relationship. It's a picture of that heavenly relationship that we enjoy now with Christ. God is saying, listen, if you make associations or affiliations or relationships with the world around you, be on guard when you, when you make that commitment and you have that involvement. It could begin to lead you in a way to where you, have, you embrace their sacrificial ways, you embrace the ways of the world, and then you intermarry. And then what happens is your sons are led astray and they begin to worship idols and molten images. This is exactly what happened with Israel when they got into the land and forgot how loved they were of God and the jealousy of his love. And they began to embrace not just the idols of the world, but they began by embracing intermarrying with the nations around them. You say, well, that's the nation Israel. Well, you see, for believers, when you go over to 2 Corinthians, Paul would say something quite similar about our relationships and our associations. What, what, how can you yoke darkness and light? How, how can you yoke Christ with Baal? You can't. It's a picture today, listen, as the church plays footsie with the world and compromises on so many things in our culture and embraces it and think that God will be okay with that. He won't be. He isn't. It's not just for the church collective, but for you and for me, listen, as part of the church singularly, we cannot allow those associations and agreements with the world to, to replace our affiliation, our love for God supremely. That means, listen, when we are more committed or associated with a club or an organization or some business deal as believers, and they are ungodly and they do not fear the Lord, we have to be on guard. Because you may be putting yourself in a position where you could be led astray. 
You say, oh, it's not going to happen to me. That's the first step that always goes, leads down is pride. It's not going to happen to you. You see, this is the warning. God is, listen, he is warning you and warning me that he has undivided devotion to us. And our devotion to him, likewise, must be undivided. He says, make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Now, if he said that to them and he drove out the enemy and he said, I've given you this land in there, they should, they should have remained faithful to him. But it wasn't but a few generations right after Joshua, when you're reading the book of Judges, that they forgot their God and they embraced the nations. If God had made war with the Canaanites, why would Israel try to make peace with them? If God said, the the Canaanites are not going to be your lords, why would his people embrace them and have them discover that they are the snares that that then trip them up in life? This world has nothing for you and for me. When will we hear the word of the Lord, what John says? Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's why later in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, he'll say, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Guard your th- yourself from those things in this world that you may be attached to, become attached to. Because God has an exclusive relationship for you and for me. And we must guard our hearts. Children, students, you must guard your hearts at an early age. And learn that the greatest threat uh, uh, to our love for God is the attraction of other things in this world. And they will never, ever satisfy. And what happens is we begin to play footsies. We make a truce for them. We may tolerate them in our presence. And then eventually we are drawn to worship them and commit ourselves over to them. It's money, it's power, it's sex, it's pride, it's pleasure. It's another individual, a man or a woman. It's drugs. It's it's all kinds of things, not just exclusive external idols. They're idols of our heart. And God says, guard your heart because that's where idolatry will take root and take place. And you'll begin to love those things above him. You see, this is the question for us this morning. Is there an idol of my heart? What gets my time? What gets my talent? What gets my energy? What gets my money? What gets my, my, what am I unwilling to let go of? I must hold on to this. If I'm not careful, those things that we possess will soon possess us. And we will not be able to let go, be able to let go of them. Why? Because they become a rival to God, an idol in our heart. And yet the amazing thing is God loves us with an everlasting love. He has demonstrated that for you and for me. There's nothing more that he has to show us. Jesus has shown us just how great the love of the Father is. And what he commands from you and from me is a brokenness in our heart, a contriteness and a recognition. God, I love you supremely because now I realize, oh, how much you have loved me. And you say, well, can a church really lose its love for God? Yes. Go read the book of Revelation. God's first word to the seven churches, to the church in Ephesus, who was doing so much right for the Lord. And yet his word to them was, you've lost your first love. How do you fix that, Pastor Chris, if that's me today? How do I fix that if I've been doing the work of the Lord or been busy, but I haven't loved the Lord as I ought? Here's how you fix it. You repent and do the deeds that you did at first. That's what Jesus said. 
That means we get on the altar and we say, God, I'm not going to love these things any longer. I don't want them to have control of my life any longer. Lord, I want to love you supremely. I'm tired of living this way. And I'm going to put you first and foremost in my life. Listen, beloved, come to be frank with you. In this day of technological wonders, we, we, we are more attached to our phones and our apps than we are to God. To hear Him speak. In this day of, of, of offering us everything, we have everything and actually have nothing because we don't have God. This is the world that we live in that is clawing for you and your heart. And you have to realize that and put those things away or put to death the flesh so that it no longer reigns and rules in our life. But having been transformed by the love of God, our heart's beat is, Oh God, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to you as you are faithful to me. And the amazing thing is, God's jealousy pursues every one of us. He doesn't leave us where we are. Stop and think for a moment where these people were. They had just made a golden calf. They had just made an idol, a rival idol to God. And yet, He has mercy. Yes, he brought some judgment upon them in a moment. Yes, he called their attention to it. But God showed mercy. He shows mercy to you and me this morning. To anyone, listen, who will repent and say, God, I'm wrong. Have mercy on me. This is how great his love. There's no other God like our God. You alone sit on your throne. He alone is the one who loves us. Even before we were able to love Him. And He continually loves us and pursues us despite our sin and our idolatry. What an amazing God. And you wake up every morning and you pause for a moment. And you claim the mercies of that God who loves us. And you realize how great His love is. And then you go and you live that day. Realizing He just wants your affection, your attention. And you know what? As you put him first and foremost in your life, as we recognize that he comes first and foremost, beloved, the fullness of life begins to flow out of you and impact others' lives around you. But it calls for repentance, for us being determined to turn away from the things of this world and be determined to look at him and follow him wherever he may lead us. And God is zealous and jealous for that. And it may be the case today that some of us just need to remove the possibility of idols in our heart because we just need to let go of some things and say, I'm not going back there any longer. I've been set free from that. No longer does that have to control my life. I'm going to follow the Lord in faithfulness. God's desire is for you and for me to love Him supremely. Does He? Does he in your life? Because you see, we open the word, we hear him speak, we hear God tell us who he is. And now the question is, am I going to try to fake it? Am I going to try and fool him? I mean, he's omniscient. He knows everything. That's what David had to realize, right? God, you're omniscient. You're omnipresent. There's nowhere I can go where you're not there. God, you got all the power to do all things. You formed me. You fashioned me. You're going to bring judgment someday and you'll have power over that as well. I need to make a choice. If God really is all those things, and he does know me through and through, then I need to turn to him and say, keep searching me. Keep trying me. Keep knowing me. See if there's any wicked way in me. If there is, run to the cross. Jesus spilt his blood to set us free from that.
It doesn't have to rule in my life any longer. And then plead that blood and keep your eyes fixed on it. And realize our identity is in Christ. And that's how he loves us with an everlasting love. And that's how he lavishes his favor and blessings upon you and me. Don't, don't try to have your own identity outside of the identity of Christ. That will not be a blessed identity. Stay in Christ. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you realize today, I need a Savior. I need to be saved from my sins. Then today's the day to say, I repent. God, forgive me for my sin. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and ask Him to be my Savior and my Lord. In a moment, you can come take my hand or the hand of one of our pastors here and say, I need Jesus today. Maybe you need to get on the altar this morning and just say, I, I need to, to love God. I, I've been loving something in His place and I realize He doesn't accept that. That's not acceptable to Him. And I need to get that right in my life today. I mean, you know what, what time you spend with the Lord each week. You know whether He's first or foremost or not. You know, listen, where you're investing in, whether it's this earth or heaven. You know, listen, where your gifts and talents are being leveraged and used. Is it for the kingdom of God or is it for your own kingdom? You see, those are rivals that God will not tolerate because he's jealous. And he demands and is zealous that his name be glorified. And that you and I who are his people worship him supremely. And that's his prayer for us today. That that's, we would be that kind of people